You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How many of you feel like Hannah needs to be in more videos? Yes, round of applause. Mmm, peppermint. That's my favorite part. I love it so much. Um, Well, hey, welcome this morning. I'm glad that you're here with us on this awesome day, our, our final Sunday of 2020, which is crazy to think about. Uh, like Katie said, really amazing stuff has been happening. I've just been so blown away. Um, not only did we give out 800 toys this last Saturday, but we took another 300 toys to the East Valley Dream Center, and then we kept toys. And tomorrow we're going to a family from our Love the Block that reached out to us to bring more toys to the neighborhood. So we're just going to keep loving on people. And yeah, let's celebrate that. Amen. Um, and I think that's because we're all in it together. You know, we started 2020. I was like, this is the theme for the year, be his church. And I was like, I was like, man, uh, little did I know that, that we'd literally have to because there'd be nothing else. Uh, but I'm so, th- I'm honest, I know there's a lot of difficult things, a lot of hardship uh, this year. But as a church, I am thankful for 2020 because it has refined our vision to be fully what God has called us to be. And my favorite moment was not the 800 or the 300 or, or even the love the block. My favorite moment was... And Carlos uh, prayed over a woman who was driving in, and one of our, our men's director, Dave, noticed that she was emotional and said, hey, we grabbed some people to come pray with her, and Carlos prayed with her, and it was a woman who's, whose husband had been deported last year and uh, three months ago disappeared, and they weren't sure where he was, and so when she drove in, she just said she couldn't even talk, but when she came into the lot, she said she felt the presence of God, and she just began to weep, and as Carlos and I believe Desiree prayed for her. Uh, She said, you just felt complete deliverance by the Lord and begin to just celebrate and rejoice and feel a peace and an understanding. And I just think, man, that is what it's all about, right? We love handing out toys. I love the look on children's face, but more than the joy in that moment, I so long and desire to see all of those children and adults in heaven joyfully celebrating Jesus Christ for eternity. And that's what it's about. So when you're a part of the mission, uh, when you step out, when you, you know, stretch yourself, it is not uh, just so we can say like, Banner Church did this, check, right? It's because we long for God to move in people's lives. We know, we know, and we believe that every person can experience the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. Amen? I do have to give credit where credit's due, if I'm going to be honest today. Uh, the, the Christmas in Scottsdale idea is not mine. I actually stole that from somebody, and it's these awesome people who are here today, the Frankies. They are just an incredible family. Uh, they are, honestly, for Katie and I, an inspiration of how to love your city. They run Unite Phoenix. I mean, they work full-time jobs, and then they do that, which is insane. Uh, but they are, honestly, some of the most godly people that we know, and I really want to encourage encourage you. They run Unite Phoenix. Is it the first or second Saturday? Second Saturday of every month, they go all throughout the valley, loving and caring on so many opportunities, and it's really one of the things that inspired KDS for the Valley. So I want to encourage you, if you are free on a second Saturday or not free, make yourself free and engage in that ministry. Just go online, go to Instagram, go to Unite PHX, and you'll find them and engage in that because I, I believe it's going to inspire you like it inspired us. And plus, they're just like the coolest people you could know. So can we thank them for just being an awesome inspiration to our church? Um, yeah, there we go. Good. Well, I figured since it's the cookie throwdown today and your cookies are being carefully, methodically judged in the lobby, uh, including 
the tiles that look, or the cookies that look like our tile floor. That is just amazing. I want to invite our small groups director, Gillian Barry, and she's going to have us do a game together. Can we welcome her this morning? Come on, let's do it. We learned from last service that things get messy up here because we're going to have some fun. Merry Christmas, everybody. All right. I'm looking for people that want to have some fun and are okay with getting a little messy. I need four people total, two teams of two. Do I have any volunteers? I have no problem volunteering. Beautiful. Madison and Jake. Woo! The most festive couple in the building. Look at this. Glorious sweater action. All right. I need one more team of two. Awesome. Molly and Sydney. Woo! Molly and Dez. Woo! All right. So how this works, you guys are both going to get the opportunity to be the hands and the voice of this operation. So you need to be one person in front of the other. So Dez is going to be my example here. She's in front. She's going to tuck her hands around her back. Molly's going to be the hands through her. So Des, this is going to be fun because Molly has really cute short hands. Um, so what's going to happen? And perfect. Des is going to tell Molly how to decorate. I mean, try to. We're going to have 30 seconds on the clock. Jake's hands are going to decorate. So you're going to decorate one of these cookies. Are you looking? One cookie. Two different colors going on here. And then we got some sprinkles. And in 30 seconds, I want the best decorated cookie possible before we switch teams. All right, can we give them a little cheers in this place? I got 30 seconds on the clock. You can pick up the cookie if it's, you know, if they, the, whatever it needs to happen in order to decorate this thing. Make it happen. All right. In three, two, one, go. All right. Molly's got her hand on the cookie. Yep. Yep. Here we go. Jake, he's got it. He's got white going. Madison's coaching. Oh, beautiful. Molly's got, oh, that's a design right there. Beautiful. 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Jake's using his hands. Beautiful. Beautiful. Five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. Here we go. Molly had some stripe action going on. Some beautiful sprinkles on top. Gorgeous. Jake here got very confused with the frosting. It's missing quite a bit, but it's okay. It's still beautiful. Um, we all know that Madison is the cookie decorator in this, in this married couple. So <laughs> Madison, I expect a little bit more from you this time, but Jake, very proud. All right, anyone need wipes? Are we good? All right, swapsies. 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go! All right, Madison's got, she start with green. Desiree's got red. Desiree, you are not allowed to look. She's like, I can be the eyes and the hands. It's fine. No wonder her sweater looks so good. All right, Madison, what do we got going on over there? Oh, we got white going, white, beautiful. Oh, very good. Uh-huh. All right, we got five seconds. Four, three, two, one. Ding, 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 ding. All right, very beautiful. 
Desiree has tie-dye action going on here. It's very gorgeous. I love that. And Madison, here we go. We got two colors going on, a few sprinkles. Honestly, I'm thinking, Desiree, your cookie's going to take the cake. Congrats. Merry Christmas, everybody. Can we give it up for our volunteers? It's a mix of both thanking them and praising the Lord that you didn't have to do it. You know, it's like a dual threat. Uh, well, I'm glad you guys are here today. Uh, some awesome things coming up, like uh, my wife mentioned. We got Christmas Eve service, Sabbath Sunday. And then starting 2021, uh, we are going to start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is honestly one of my favorite times. Katie's favorite time is Christmas. Mine's a little more spiritual. Uh, my favorite, no, she, I'm just joking. <laughs> She's like, ha, ha, ha. Um, but uh, my favorite time is the 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's an incredible time. And if you've never heard of fasting or how to do a corporate fast together, I really want to encourage you. We have a really good guide to fasting and to corporate fasting and the different kinds of fasts. You're like, wait, don't eat for 21 days? Nope. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you choose to do that, please consult your doctor <laughs> before you do that. Um, but we have an incredible guide. If you go online to banner.church, you can download a, a PDF that has listed and explains all about fasting. And I really want to encourage you, starting January 3rd, we're going to jump into these 21 days. And we believe just really for God to move in powerful ways. But most importantly, as we shift the focus of our, our flesh from feasting on uh, the general nature of the world, the feasting on God and his presence, I always see lives transformed, right? Now, if you do it without God, it's just a diet, right? And some of us might want to diet after the holidays anyways, but that's not what this is. This is an intentional time of focusing on God. I've seen relationships transformed. I've seen lives renewed. We've seen miracles happen that you would not believe. We've seen like laws overturned. Things change structurally in the judicial system in the season. I mean, big stuff, guys. Powerful things. So I want to encourage you, go online, banner.church, download the 2021 uh, prayer and fasting guide. And if you're an in-print person, I do have a couple copies. So before you leave, let me know, and I'll, and I'll grab you one. We have like three because we ran out of paper. But, um, but I'll, I'll get you one. But we are now at the end of our greatest gift series, because it is not 2020 or 2021 yet. It is still 2020, and it is almost Christmas. But today, I want to talk to you about myrrh. Someone say myrrh. Yeah, nice long R. It's got two R's in there. Get it all. Myrrh. I don't know how you say it, but myrrh. <laughs> myrrh. <laughs> Um, great word. I love it. But we've been talking about gold, frankincense, and now myrrh. I don't know if you ever heard about myrrh or a message on myrrh, but you're going to today. So here we go. Uh, I want to read to you the scripture we've been talking about as a church, and it comes out of Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, When they, meaning the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and, come on, myrrh. Yeah, see, it feels good. Rev it up there. Myrrh. Uh, myrrh. Would you pray with me this morning? We'll jump into the word together. Lord God, we thank you 
for your word. God, I thank you that as we gather and we read through your scripture and we, we learn more about Jesus, I thank you that it transforms and renews and strengthens us. So we just open our heart in this moment. We yield everything to you, Holy Spirit. We ask you to move. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you guys have seen the, the new show that's on Disney Plus? I guess the second season now, but The Mandalorian. Any Mandalorian fans? Mandalorian fans? Okay, I won't tell you anything that happened in the season finale. Uh, it was great. I loved it. I don't know if you loved it. It doesn't matter. I did. Um, it's great. Um, I don't know if you were like me, but when I was a little kid, I was a big fan of Boba Fett in the Star Wars movies, which is ironic because Boba Fett essentially did nothing in the original Star Wars movies, right? Like, he flew in a ship. He kidnapped the best character in basically the whole series, and then he fell into a pit that had like some squid tooth creature inside of it, uh, depending on, you know, what version you're watching. That's pretty much it. And yet he's like infinitely popular, right? He was so popular. It's just something about bad boys. I don't know. But when I was a kid, uh, it was all about getting the Boba Fett action figure. The Boba Fett action figure. I remember one day I finally got the Boba Fett action figure. You used to have to wait outside Toys R Us for them to open, and then you had to do that fast walk so it didn't look like you were running because you can't run in a store when you're a kid, but you can walk really fast, faster than all the other kids, so you get there first, right? You know what I'm talking about, that tension? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. See, kids now, they're buying everything online, so they don't know that tension of getting up early and going only to have, like, all of the same character. Like, no, I don't want this character. I want this, so... So we had to do that. But uh, I, I had a Boba Fett action figure. It was big for me. Recently, I saw, though, on Pawn Stars, which is the weirdest show where people basically get ripped off for expensive goods they've had for 30 years, uh, that there was a Boba Fett action figure that went for 100, it was valued, sorry, at 125,000 human American dollars. <laughs> A hundred and twenty. He didn't sell it to them because he believed it was worth 150,000, not yen, American dollars. Which got me thinking, where is my Boba Fett action figure? Right? How many of you have gone down the wormhole of like looking up your childhood toys on eBay? Like, $35. Where is C-3PO? Right? Now, my mom had uh, actually saved all these toys and gave them to my daughter because my daughter loves to play with dolls. And guys, we need to be honest. That's all action figures are. They're just camo dolls. Right? Like a G.I. Joe is just a cargo pants Ken. That's the only difference. Right? That's it. They're functionally the same. The Chinese factory they're made in looks the same, right? <laughs> they're all the same. So I, so my, my daughter loves playing with them, and so I was going back and looking and going through, and it was just crazy the things I was pulling up, like this, this toy is worth $50, and this toy is worth $100, and this toy. Now, you have to leave them in the box, which I never did, right? If when I was seven, if someone told me to leave a toy in a box, I would have laughed at their face. Because the only reason I got toys is to drag them through the mud and then eventually, I don't know, blow them up or, you know, whatever you did when you turned into a teenager and you were angry at the world and didn't know how to let it out. Uh, okay, cool, just me. Yeah. <laughs> um, vulnerability hour, apparently, on the stage today. But um, so I started, like, looking through it. And it's funny because when I was a kid, I just, I mean, there's no way I would have expected a Boba Fett action figure to go for $125,000. Because I just didn't have any concept of, of really value or things valuing. And if somebody had told me, listen, this Boba Fett action figure when I was seven is going to be worth $125,000 in 
you know, 20 years, 25 years, if you don't take it out of the box, I would have smiled and nodded as I ripped it out of its plastic container and drug it through the mud, because I have no concept of that, right? There's just some gifts that you get that you don't necessarily understand their long-term value. You with me? Like, you might have gotten a gift. Maybe it's not Boba Fett. Maybe it was just a person as a gift in your life, and you didn't really understand the value of that relationship until later. You didn't understand the value of that gift. You know, when we look at the gifts that Jesus brought, I feel like myrrh is that gift. We're like, on the surface, gold makes the most sense. If you're going to get me a gift this Christmas, and you had to choose between gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I want to invite you to choose gold. <laughs> right? Uh, frankincense we get, you know, if you're an essential oil person, you're like, yes, Lord, frankincense, you know it. You've rubbed it into your temples or the bottom of your feet. You understand it. But myrrh is a little bit of obscure. I imagine when the wise men were bringing, though there were more than three, when they were bringing uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus and to Mary and presenting it, I imagine, you know, it's like, yes, Mary, you know, comes before, like, she's this mic stand, let's say. I, I bring you gold. She's like, oh, my gosh, gold. Yes, awesome. I bring you frankincense. It's like, oh, my goodness, it smells so good. You know, it's very pungent. It's very aromatic. Like, oh, wow, this is, this is the anointing oil. Wow. And then it was like the third guy comes up, and he's like, man, why do I always get stuck with myrrh? And he brings up myrrh, and he's like, this is for burial. <laughs> and Mary's like, what? <laughs> Remember she's like a teenage girl getting presented burial fragrance? She's like, okay, awesome. I'm going to put this over here. If it looks like I'm throwing it away, I'm not. No. <laughs> On the surface, of, like reading it externally, we're just like, yeah, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're gifts for the royalty. But it's like, what really is myrrh? Do we even know what it is? But it was actually a very important gift, not only functionally, not only in cost, but symbolically. Myrrh is a, is a powerful symbolism. I mean, not only was myrrh likely one of the most expensive gifts that he received, but it was incredibly symbolic of not only what Jesus came to be, but what he came to do for us. Gold was symbolic as we see the life of Jesus. Now, they meant them all as one gift to celebrate his royalty. But as we now see them having witnessed the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see the power and the symbolism of each thing that they brought to him. So gold was symbolic of his kingship. And frankincense is symbolic of his priesthood. And then myrrh is kind of like the odd man out, right? What is myrrh symbolic of? I want to talk about that a little bit because I believe myrrh tells us some powerful things about the greatest gift that is Jesus Christ. So let's talk about myrrh. Has anyone actually ever seen myrrh or has myrrh at home? Someone in the first service told me. Perfect. You can raise your hand. You don't have to be embarrassed. Like, I have something from the Bible. You don't have to be sorry. It's okay. Hannah, we all saw you on video. Your husband works here. Oh, my mom has it currently with her. You would. She's <laughs> like the most spiritual person here. Of course, you have myrrh with you. <laughs> if you want to be anointed for ministry after service, my mom will handle it. She'll pray some things out of you and just, you know, send you out. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I love you. You're amazing. Um, I'm not surprised by that at all. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, <laughs> where was I? What was I talking about? Uh, Jesus or something. Uh, <laughs> myrrh. myrrh is a, a sap that comes from a tree, and, it, and they, they distill it in a resin-type form, but it's most commonly seen as an oil. And it's actually pretty expensive, so my mom just flexed on all you. You didn't know it. But like a little bit of myrrh is like 100 bucks, so good job, mom. Proud of you. 
Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was also mixed in uh, with the tabernacle uh, uh, anointing oil that they would assemble. It was one of the things they would mix in. Myrrh was very pungent, very fragrant. It was part of the fragrance that was lifted up to the Lord. It was part of that ensemble. Uh, but because it was very fragrant, it was used in purification rituals and in burial. So uh, not only to bury people, but in purifying and preparation. Uh, if you've ever heard of Queen Esther in the Old Testament, it says that before she went to the king of Babylon, she was purified with myrrh and washed with myrrh in these ritual bathings for six months. I, I wonder what she smelled like after that, if I'm being honest. That smells, I mean, could you imagine one of the incredibly fragrant, incredibly pungent, you're washed for six months? That's a high-maintenance king, right? Take, ah, she's beautiful, but let's wash her in oil for six months, and then I'll deal with her, Right? That's a lot. And so they, she, it was part of this purification and this preparation for you to go before the king. And so it was considered a highly symbolic, highly fragrant, highly expensive oil. But that isn't the only thing it was used for. Another main usage of myrrh was as a painkiller and an anti-inflammatory. Myrrh is a strong, strong painkiller and anti-inflammatory agent. In fact, it's used a lot for joint pain. It's used a lot, uh, especially in the ancient Near East, it was used a lot uh, internally, taken as a medicine internally, to help fever, poisoning, ears, eyes, liver complications. And we know from tests on mice, uh, chemists at the University of Florence found out that the molecules in myrrh act on the brain's opioid receptors, explaining its pain-killing action. So basically, uh, the acids within it, the boswellic acids, have an anti-inflammatory and anti-arthritic effect because of how they affect the brain and what it releases in the body. Pretty amazing. There's so many cool things that have come up from the earth to take care of us, right? So it's not just uh, fragrant. It's also medicine. It's a painkiller. And you have to think, in the ancient Near East, if you had something happen to you dramatically, you know, like war or just fell on your plowshare or whatever, you couldn't be rushed to the hospital, right? They couldn't rush to the hospital, put you some morphine, get that drip on, and, and you'd be fine. They have to give you something. And so you would need some kind of medicine for taking the pain away and dealing with it other than copious amounts of alcohol, right? So they would give things like myrrh to take away the swelling, to, to take away the pain. And so this was a pretty known thing when the gifts were given to Mary that myrrh was a painkiller. It was to take away suffering. And it's so interesting to me as Jesus came to take away our suffering. I don't think they knew that when they gave the gift. But what is true about the character and life and actions of Jesus Christ is that he came to take away our suffering, but not maybe in the way that you might expect. Because Jesus actually promises us in John 16, 33, says, I say these things so you will have peace. In this world you will have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. It's interesting. He came to take away our suffering, but he promises that we will suffer and that we will share in his sufferings we might share in his glory. That seems confusing, amen? But what it's saying and what is profoundly symbolic is that Jesus didn't necessarily come to take away any suffering we might ever face. He came to take away the suffering of sin and shame and death. It's something that is greater than just the physical pain. It is an eternal pain of the separation from a loving God through sin. 
And it might not have been obvious in the moment when they brought it and the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. It was all recognizing the worship of the king of the Jews and, and who they believed him to be. But as we look at the life of Jesus, it is profound how myrrh has played a role in the life of Jesus. So I'm going to look at that. If you brought your Bible, do me a favor and open up to Luke chapter 7. If you get there, say amen. If not, the words are on the screen, so you'll get there no matter what. Amen. Luke 7. Okay, here's one of the interactions. This is like one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite, I guess, stories, the wrong word, because it implies that it was created. This is one of my favorite moments in Scripture. Luke 7, 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went—he's talking to Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now the word there for ointment is myron, or myron. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Okay, pause here for a second. We know from scriptural context that this woman was a prostitute. And so I want you to just imagine for a second that you're invited to a dinner. And at the dinner, let's say like you come over to my house, and at the dinner I have a guest, and a hooker comes through the door, falls at the feet of this guest, breaks open, and just starts weeping so much that they could wash someone's feet with that many tears. So like a substantial amount of tears. I think that we could all say that would be shocking, right? That would be a shocking experience. Cultural differences aside, that would be a shocking moment, right? If, if it's someone from, they, they would maybe surprise you, came in and, and just began to pour themselves out on his feet. So here's what happens. Luke 7, 39 says, Now the Pharisee who invited him saw this. He said to himself, important, said it to himself. Now the wording there is implying that he's thinking it. Or he's at least muttering unto himself. But the wording, as far as I've seen it, is implying he's thinking it. So he thinks... If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what this sort of woman who was touching him, for she is a sinner. He's saying, if he really knew what he says he knows, then he would know this is a hooker, and he shouldn't be touching her, right? He's, it's a devaluing moment for this person based off of her past and her current activity. But it says, and Jesus answering him. So he thinks it, and Jesus answers his thought. That's a baller move. I love that move. He thinks like, man, what is this guy doing? He's, does he know who this is? And Jesus answers his thought and goes, yep. And here's what he says. Simon, I have something to say to you. That would have been a terrifying moment. So Simon rightfully says, say it, teacher. <laughs> and Luke 41, 741, he says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this is a powerful story, but I think if we were to even understand it culturally, it would be even more powerful. Because what she does is profound. Jesus is invited to a dinner. And when you would invite a guest, if you saw them as an honored guest, you would do certain things. You would greet them with a kiss of friendship to signify your unity as friends. You would have a servant or someone in a place of submission wash their feet because sandals and desert and hills, right? So, you know, stinky feet. They would come in, and you would anoint their head with oil. Why? Because 12 dudes wandering out in the heat of the day in sandals would stink. Come on, dudes, you know what I'm talking about. No deodorant? Like, let's be real. You need some anointing oil. Right? <laughs> and so they would anoint it. It was symbolic. It was powerful. It was honoring. And it says he didn't do any of that. Isn't that interesting? The person who was in all the power or authority didn't, couldn't even bother to honor Jesus. But here is this woman that the world has so rejected that with the totality of her being is honoring Christ. I love that Christ's kingdom is so upside down to what we think it should be. Right? So you didn't give me a kiss of friendship. You didn't give me an anointing. You didn't wash my feet. But here's the woman. Here's this woman who you said should not even be touching me. You thought if I really knew who she was that I wouldn't even let her touch me. And instead she is reflecting more of the kingdom than everybody in this place. She is reflecting what I came here to do. Is that she was pouring myrrh on his feet. I think there's more symbolism than she could have possibly ever known in that moment. Here was this woman, known by her shame, a woman of the city, a prostitute, someone who was outcast, who was set aside, but she recognizes that Jesus is the answer to the desperation and the longing and the isolation and the hole in her heart. And she's overcome by emotion. And so she comes in and she falls at his feet. She doesn't ask for permission. She doesn't ask if she can come in. She doesn't ask if she can have access. She just falls at his feet. And it says she's weeping. But she's weeping so much that she can wash his feet. Do you have any idea how many tears it takes to weep enough to wash the dirt off someone's feet? That's a lot of shame. That's a lot of hurt. That's a lot of pain. Some of you have wept tears like that, so you know how many it takes. And I just think of this moment, a tear for every hurt, every pain, everything someone had done to her, every time she was cast aside, every time she was told she was worthless, every time she felt like she never measured up, every sin, every act of rebellion, every standing against God, every time she felt on the outside, every time she knew that she wasn't loved by the people around her but felt like she deserved some kind of love but maybe didn't feel worthy of it, every suffering that she had, she began to weep as tears at the feet of Jesus. And she takes her hair, think on this moment. This was a very powerful thing to do culturally. This was a thing that was done culturally, but it was like such an act of submission and care. She begins to wipe his 
feet with her hair. She literally takes the dirt of him onto herself. I love that Jesus is not afraid of messiness, messy people, and to get messy with people. Like, he is not phased by this at all. In fact, not only is he not phased, he is like overjoyed. The thing that would shame people, he is overjoyed by. I think we might understand Jesus a little wrong. Because this is Jesus. Jesus is not this rejective, higher-than-thou personality who has separated himself. He is the one who sits in this moment in the dirt and the tears and the perfume and the aroma and the hair and the crying and the weeping and the judgment and is rejoicing over the lost being found. That's Jesus. And she takes this precious bottle of oil. Like I said, it was expensive, expensive. She takes it. And she breaks it. Likely would have been saved for burial. Likely would have been saved for a special occasion. And it's just this beautiful moment. She breaks it open, begins to anoint his feet. And she begins to kiss his feet. I don't think there's a greater act of submittal than kissing someone's feet. You cannot feel higher than now if you're kissing someone's feet, right? She begins to kiss his feet. She begins to pour her love upon him, pour her love out on him. And I love that Jesus sees her so mercifully, and he doesn't say things he could have said. He doesn't say, like, you're never going to suffer again. He doesn't say, like, everything in your life, you know, like, you're, no one's going to see you as a prostitute. No one's going to remember the things you've done. You're never going to have a hard day again. What does he say to her? He says, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. And he releases her in peace, real peace, not feel goodness. He releases her in shalom, in peace, in goodness, in wholeness. He says, go in peace. Why is this important? Because Jesus came not just to fix earthly pain, Though he does take away our pain, though he does heal, though he is a God who heals, and I have seen him heal bodies and lives and relationships, but he came for an even greater reason. He came to heal our soul, that no matter how broken, no matter how shameful, no matter how much the world has cast us out and cast us aside and told you that you're not worth it because of maybe where you were born or your family or how you lived or the decisions you made or what people have done to you or what you've done to people, that regardless of what the world has said has set you out, you too can come and lay your brokenness completely at the feet of Jesus and he will embrace you and he will forgive you and he will set you in peace peace. The aroma of myrrh. Recognizing the sin and brokenness. The aroma of myrrh. The sins poured out. The anointing poured out. You know, all Gospels have this uh, kind of similar encounter that, that occurs. Um, but some also record another encounter as well that on the surface, might look very similar, the anointing of Bethany, but it's actually considered a, a different experience because it's a little closer to Jesus' death, and it is done by possibly a different person, and uh, it, it signifies something a little bit different, whereas this is a recognition of Christ come to take away the sins of the world. There's a moment where Jesus is anointed again with myrrh. 
that symbolizes his death. Matthew 26, 6. I'm just going to read it to you. You can flip there if you would like, but the words will be on the screen. It says this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment. Again, this is the same, the same myrrh, the same fragrance. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at a table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, I love that, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we know in some other accounts that this is Mary, not Mary the mother of Jesus, a, a different Mary here. And Mary comes in, and, and you might remember if you've been here a couple weeks ago when I talked about the relationship of Mary and Martha, and how Martha was cooking, and Mary was just like loving on Jesus. This is kind of predictive of, of their relationship. Martha is the person in the kitchen serving, and uh, Mary's the one like at the worship night, just like on the altar, just like pouring it out. And it's like, yeah, but we have, we have a building to clean. And she's just like, ah, da, da, right? You know, these two different people. Some of you are the lobby, and some of you are the here people, and you just both judge each other equally. Uh, so, <laughs> so come on. Come on, guys. Let's be real. Let's be real. I meet with you, so I, I know it's true. Um, <laughs> but uh, so this is this really kind of profound moment where, uh, they, where she comes in, and she pours it uh, over the head. And some think that Mary and John were some of the earliest followers of Jesus in, in recognizing who, you know, earliest followers to recognize that Jesus was about to die. And so it says it's a, it's a preparation for his burial. Why is that important? Because he was not being prepared to die. He was not about to die well. He was about to be crucified and murdered and beaten and brutalized and treated like a thief. Like Jesus did not die well. It was not a poetic, you know, a moment of, of, of peace. He didn't pass gently in his sleep. It was brutal. It was terrible. It was awful. Uh, and he was crucified between two thieves. But there's this powerful symbolic action as she anoints him. She's anointing him for death. And that is important because, listen, Jesus had to die. People like, is there another way he could have come? No, no, no. Jesus had to be the perfect and spotless lamb to take our sins upon himself. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was the lamb. For centuries, they had taken the lamb and symbolically shed the blood of the lamb to symbolize how death would pass over them, how they were covered by the blood as a symbolic representation of the wrath of God moving along from them. And so Jesus came to be the fulfillment of what had previously just been a shadow. He came to fulfill the promise and be that perfect lamb that would take upon the sins of the world upon himself, die for us, so the wrath of God would pass over us. And so he had to die. And so Mary is symbolically anointing him and recognizing with this fragrant scent of myrrh that he's about to die. I wonder if Mary, Jesus' mother, started putting the pieces together. Right? You get this gift at the birth of your child. All of a sudden, it's being poured over his feet. It's being poured over his head. She's like, something is going on. Moms are very intuitive. She's like, something, something is happening here. Right? Next time we see Mer is actually at Jesus' crucifixion. Mark 15 says this, verse 22. It says, they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. 
And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, and decided what each should take. And it says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers on his right and one on his left. Now this is different than the vinegar they lift up to him. This is before he's crucified, they offer him something. They offer him wine mixed with myrrh. Why? Because it's a painkiller. Because he had just been brutally beaten. They offer him a painkiller. But he doesn't take it. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't take, like, would any of us fault Jesus if he took, you know, got a little hit of myrrh before he went out to the cross? Like, I mean, I wouldn't. It's like, was this bad enough? Like a little anti-inflammatory wouldn't have kept it down? And I really began to, th began to think through this. Because Jesus had, you know, all the supernatural authority to step off the cross. Like at any moment, Jesus would have been like, nope, hard pass. Also, angels, just kill everybody. Right? <laughs> oh, like, right? It's like, like, you thought Game of Thrones was bloody. <laughs> like, I'm going to blow your mind. Any moment. But what I love about this is not only does he not take a spiritual way out in the authority and the supernatural, but he doesn't take the physical one either. And I think that's profound. When Jesus had the opportunity, he did not take a chance to miss a single ounce of suffering for our sins. Are you with me? Jesus took every one of my sins, every one of your sins, upon himself, the weight of every sin, and he did not miss a single one. There was not one he avoided. There was not one he shied away from. If he took it, I feel like we could have said, yeah, that was my sin that he took that painkiller for because it was real bad. No, he bore all of it. Every single one, every single sin, every single shame, every single hurt, every single pain, every single aching, every single brutality that came upon him, the weight of the wrath of God he bore upon himself. And he did not avoid it. And I think that is powerfully significant because then you can look at your own life and see every sin, every sin in my life he took upon the cross. Every single one. What about this one? Yes, that one. What about the, yes, that one. Every single one. Every sin poured out at his feet by the prostitute. Every sin given to him by the thief on the cross. Every sin in my own life. Every shame. Every shame that we have carried. Every sin that you have carried. Everything you heaped upon his shoulders, he took. And when given the chance to avoid it, he avoided none of it. Why? Because he desperately loves you. And he came to die for all of it. All of it. Does that move your heart a little bit this morning? Then in given the moment to avoid the pain, he chose to avoid none of it so that he could free you from all of it. So he rejects the myrrh because he says, that's not what it's come to symbolize for me. It's not come to take away this pain. I've come to take away all iniquity, the pain of the earth, of sin. So it says in John 19, Nicodemus, when he died, it says, it says when Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea takes him to the grave, and Nicodemus, who earlier struggled to understand this new birth, it says Nicodemus comes, said that who had earlier come to Jesus by night, in John 19, verse 35, or 39, says, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus and bound it with linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. I feel like at this point, Mary must have understood. Could you imagine this deep symbolism of the gift that was given to your child at birth? Now he's wrapped in at his death. I believe she would have put those pieces together. This is symbolic. The, the thing that, that he was given at birth to recognize his kingship was then also symbolic of the taking away of sins and the death that he would die was symbolic of the fragrant anointing upon his life to take away the sins of the earth. And they wrapped him with it. Every sin, every shame, they wrapped him with it and laid it all in the grave. That's where he went with all of your sin and with all of your shame and with all of my sin and with all of my shame he died and was laid with the wrath of it all in the grave are you still with me but it says this in john 20 verse 1 i'm fired up on this so i hope you guys because this is this makes sense in my brain and it's like the greatest thing on earth so sorry <laughs> john 20 verse 1 it says this now on the first day of the week mary magdalene the one who anointed him with myrrh while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which is funny because that was John, and John wrote this book. And it says, And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, and he did not go in. Okay, look at verse 5 again. Look at verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths. What were the linen cloths soaked in? Okay. In a physical sense, they were soaked in more. In a spiritual sense, they were soaked in your sins. It says, Inside her, Simon Peter came in following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded, this is very intentional, and placed up in a place by itself. That's a whole other message. And he said, And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. What was left in the grave? Not Jesus. Right? Not Jesus. Jesus wasn't in the grave. When they went to the grave where, where he was laid, where he was laid to rest in death, what was still dead? All the grave clothes. That was still there. The wrappings, the myrrh, it was still there. The symbolism of his death that he must die to take. So what was still in the grave? What is still in the grave? What is forever in the grave? Your sins. Jesus rose, but he killed your sins. He took your sins. As far as the east is from the west, they are gone. Even today, though you live 2,000 years from Jesus, he has taken all of your sins upon himself on the cross. And when they laid him in the grave, when they laid him into death, that is where your sins went, into death. But Jesus, going into death, defeated death, hell, in the grave, and rose again on the third day, but he didn't come back with your sins. 
He didn't come back. Could you imagine how shameful the prostitute felt? Could you imagine how often her shame hung on her? Some of you, you can feel this intimately and personally, how often that sin and shame hung about her and kept being reminded to her. But he took it from her. She poured it out with the aroma of myrrh, and he was wrapped in the aroma of myrrh and sent to the grave, and he buried her sins. He buried your sins. He defeated your sins, and then he rose in victory. Amen? Every sin, every sin that was wept onto his feet, every sin that I have laid upon his feet, every sin, every shortcoming, every shame, he has taken. He says, This is for this purpose I have come. This is why I have come. Take upon myself the sins of the world to die, to be resurrected, to destroy the temple and rebuild it again. Isaiah 53, and prophesying about Jesus. And band, you can come up today. Isaiah 53, powerful, powerful prophecy of Jesus Christ. It says this. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. It says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced. Look at this verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone, not just some of us, all of us, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. 1 John 2, 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Propitiation means appeasement of the wrath. He is the appeasement of the wrath that is a result of our rebellion so that we might again choose a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our rebellion has a response. Did you know that our rebellion and sin has a response? And it lives in opposition to the love of God. It lives in the wrath of God. And yet Jesus bore upon himself the wrath of God that we might live in a relationship. Scripture says, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It means when God looks at us, he does not see our sin, our shame. When God looks at the prostitute, just like Jesus, right? He didn't see her sin and shame. He saw the covering of the blood of Jesus and his deeply beloved child. You know, when the wise men brought those gifts, I can't imagine they anticipated that. Because, I mean, that's powerful beyond human ability to understand sometimes. But myrrh had this human value to remove suffering. But I love that Jesus transcended that to come and be the one and only answer to remove the suffering of sin and shame in our life. That not only is he the good and mighty and powerful healer on this earth, not only does he heal sickness and disease, not only does he take away afflictions, not only does he heal bodies and minds and relationships and, and, and hearts, but he also eternally is the healer by removing 
the debt of sin and shame. Are you still with me? This is, is so important today because we need to reframe how we see Jesus. See, every religion is about in the world, except for Christianity, is about attaining a higher form or elevating or separating ourselves from suffering. And yet Jesus is unique in that he came to suffer with us. He's God, and yet he chose to keep his scars. Every God and every religion is trying to prove their godhood so they don't want to show they bleed. Jesus is constantly showing us his blood shed for us on the cross. He's showing us the scars. He's God. He could have removed them. Why does he keep them? He keeps them so that in your suffering, he comes along with you and says, listen, I have come to the earth to not only free you from sin and shame, but to suffer with you, that you are not alone, that you are not walking alone, that you are not by yourself, but I have come, and I've come with power. I've come with freedom, and that's why we say at this church, all people can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. We believe it. He has come to take your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's come to release you. He's come to bring you hope and healing, though there should be wrath because of our rebellion. He has given us life and hope and he can do a miracle continually in our lives and this morning as we reflect on Christmas reflect on the birth of Jesus we reflect and we remember the birth of him who came to take away our pain and so I don't know what that is for you today I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I do know Jesus. And I know that there is nothing in this world that can overcome his good and perfect will, that can overcome his love for you. John 16, 33, I said these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Would you stand with me this morning? With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just want a moment of you focusing completely, removing the distractions. It's just you and the Lord at this moment. We publicly celebrate life transformation through baptism, but this is a moment of you and Jesus. This is a moment where you ask yourself the question, am I ready for hope and healing? Am I ready to have hope for the future and healing from the past? Am I ready to release myself? Am I ready to take, to take all of my sin and all of my shame? And like that woman, just to break it open on his feet. Can I tell you, he takes your tears, he takes your sorrow, and he lifts your soul. And he says, your sins have been forgiven because of your love for me. And I believe this morning, for those who make that choice to begin a relationship with Jesus, it's the beginning of a relationship that says, Jesus, I choose to follow you. But even at the beginning of that relationship, Jesus can do a miracle in your life. And here's the powerful thing today. He doesn't invite you into expectation. He doesn't invite you into a vague sense of hopefulness. He invites you into victory. And he says today that if you would die to yourself and be born again in me, that you are invited into the resurrection of Jesus Christ and with it all of the freedom and all of the power of a new life. That in all things we see victory through Jesus Christ. 
that even the things the enemy meant to destroy you, Christ can turn for good. What the enemy meant for evil, Jesus can turn it for good by his power. And so today, if you're in this place and you've never begun that relationship, or man, it's been a long time since you have chosen to follow Jesus with your life. It's a daily decision you have not made for many days. If that's, if that's you this morning, I want to give you a moment to respond in a really simple way, just to the raising of your hands. So that's, that's you this morning, and you're saying, I want to begin a new life with Christ, or maybe again, I just need the hope and healing of Jesus Christ. I need the old to be gone, the new to come today. If that's you, if you're here in person, every eye closed, every head bowed, or you're joining us online, here's all I want you to do. I want you to lift your hand and put it back down as a recognition of your submission to Jesus Christ. to pray over you and then the band's going to lead us a song the song says I'm going to see a victory and I want to encourage you in this worshipful moment to simply respond like that woman by pouring your heart out at the feet of Jesus and stepping into the victory of his resurrection when you lay it down you don't need to pick it back up he has taken your sin he has left it in the grave it is dead and gone but I want to pray for you this morning before we worship together. Jesus, I thank you today. Would you agree with me in this place? Jesus, we thank you today that you are victorious. Jesus, we thank you today as the aroma of myrrh supernaturally and spiritually is in this place today. We recognize your authority, Jesus Christ, that you came, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died as the propitiation for our sins, that you took them upon yourself on the cross, but you didn't stop there. You took them to the grave and you buried them, but you didn't stop there. You arose in victory and authority, but you didn't stop there, Jesus. You invited us in to that victory of the resurrection and the resurrection life as children of God that we might walk though in this world we will have tribulation that you have overcome the world and so I pray this morning as we release our fear as we release our sin and shame as we lay them at your feet God I pray that you would release everyone completely completely from what holds them completely from what holds them back God if there's needing for forgiveness I pray there would be true and complete repentance today. If there's needing for release, I pray there will be a complete abandonment of pride today, an abandonment of shame today. God, your scripture says those who look to you, their faces are radiant. They are never covered with shame. So we pray a great and mighty release that we would walk in the authority of your resurrection today. All of us who choose today to follow Christ, walk in the authority of the resurrection that is secured by the anointing of the Holy Spirit right now in this place. If you have made the decision to follow Christ, I pray a great and mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit upon you, that you would not only receive the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, but the power that comes from a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we choose today to surrender and to walk in your victory. God, even the things the enemy meant for evil, we thank you that you can turn for good. We thank you that you can bring victory and you can bring life. And we thank you, God, in the great anointing like the woman at your feet. We anoint your feet in this moment and we thank you, Jesus, that you have taken the sins of the world upon yourself and risen in victory. And I pray this morning that we would recognize that, praise in that, walk in that, and leave in that. In Jesus' mighty name, let's worship together.